0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast, Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 215. And in today's episode, the season is uh, definitely winding down other than we just had the Master National, Derby Nationals this week, National Open is next month. So things are next. The last Pointing Lab test is this coming weekend uh, on the East Coast. So things are winding down. And hunting season is already ramped up. We had duck opener last this last weekend pheasants coming soon, so We're turning from uh, Training for competition and stuff to going out and enjoying these dogs that we've trained some of us anyway get to do that And so i've had some questions that I want to talk about kind of uh Transitioning to hunting and if you're just a hunter i'm going to talk about just some issues that I think are important uh Dog well-being, dog safety, having the season go very well with no no negative incidents at all. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that with a little different approach maybe than than uh, than people often hear. Um, this is my last month. I'm wrapping up, you know, some dogs and things, and and uh, moving on to an unknown future. Um, and I, I just want to say to so many people that I've I've talked with and communicated with that the support and the good words that that i've received are uh are priceless and i am i'm the luckiest dog person in the world because i just seem to have, have fallen amongst some of the best people there are and and i appreciate that near some wonderful people near and some wonderful people far so thank you for all the support and i'll keep everybody abreast of whatever's going on and whatever i'm going to do when i grow up uh how this change is going on but anyway let's talk about some important things here on the hunting season one of the questions specific questions that i had was about fences and hunting cuz a lot of people listening to this podcast are upland hunters and you know it even is relevant if you're doing waterfowl stuff you know when you're hunting geese there's big fields and stuff and 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 fences have often been an interesting thing there's a lot of dogs that have had uh injuries with fences and worse and then there's a lot of dogs that have no incidents at all and so What was asked the question was how do you train dogs to address deal with fences? And I'm gonna take a step back from that Um, As opposed to just dealing with all the little specifics that we have and all the things that you might encounter because there are so many of them, you know, there's uh, Stuff that's buried under cover or dead wood or heavy shrubbery There's things where if a dog just smashes into a bunch of cover somewhere that could be metal equipment in there. There could be sharp and jagged things. There could be fence posts, uh, you know, just aimed at a real bad angle. So there's so many things where we need our dogs to be careful. That includes in the water. You know, there's a lot of things that might be underneath, uh, underwater, long from 50 years ago, you know, but if your dog does one of those big duck-dog leaps in there, could wind up being a real negative thing. So, it's impossible for us as dog handlers and managers to, to think of every possible situation and then try to address it. But the approach that, that might, you know, at least think about this, what we need our hunting dogs to do when they're in the passion and fervor of, of doing their thing in the, in the field, we still need them to think that's a very important thing and I don't know a lot of people don't really think about it that way but just like if we were hunting I we were hunting together and we're going somewhere we haven't been we're walking through some big field in in Iowa or some big mountainside in in uh, Montana okay we need to think about a lot of things you know we need to think about gee are we going to encounter a bear (laughs) going up here you know let's just be ready for stuff like that it's important that we prepare ourselves for for dealing with things as they come up. And we can, to a large degree, do that same thing with, with our dogs. And it's really teaching them to think. Now, through all of these podcasts, if you've listened to very many of them, starting from When Your Puppy's Eight Weeks Old, all the way through, one of the things that I constantly bring up and keep maintained and always keep at the forefront of everything is when we are interacting and working with our dogs, whether it's how to be a nice family dog, a nice going hiking dog, a nice hunting dog, a nice competitive dog is one of the things that we need to do from the beginning is to the best of their ability, their capability, teach these little guys how to think. And very the majority of time people don't even look at it that way. It's like how do I train this behavior and then how do I train this behavior and then how do I correct this uh, behavior I don't want and that's looking at it very uh, recipe style as if these are just dog bots and they're all the same and this is how we do this stuff so just like you and me just like when we were kids just like our own kids if we can get these get these people and these dogs to think Use their head instead of just wildly engaging in whatever behavior or whim they have. If we can teach them to think, that's probably the most powerful safety thing you can ever do with a dog. And I'll give you an example. And I'll use a a fence and a ditch and a lot of things that I've personally experienced with dogs. So if a dog, we all develop, we want a passion. For those of us with retrievers, we want the passion for retrieving because that's what makes them wanna go hunt for upland birds, that's what makes them wanna jump into the cold water and go get that duck or go 300 yards across that corn stubble field to get the goose that's not quite dead yet, is that high desire to retrieve. So we want that. However, we don't want that in a mindless devil may care, I'm just gonna run you know, where I think I have to go and not give anything a thought that is the thing that we don't want. So how do you go about getting your dogs to maintain their passion and their love of this stuff and still do it in a a way (laughs) where they're not going to impale themselves on something or open up their entire front end as they go through, you know, a thin, thin strands of barbed wire. How do you do that? And it's, it's, it's one, it's in your approach to training. Do you give the dog responsibility for their actions or do you just direct them like a dog bot and tell them what to do? If you're doing all the thinking and all the work for them and they're just to do what you say, then you're not going to give them, teach them how to look at the things around them, take in the situation, make some adjustments and continue on what their mission is. And yes, that can be done. But to impart that kind of approach and perspective in a dog, Requires that you have it and a lot of people don't you know, they just I got this dog. I want to go hunt He does all he's a master hunter. Now. Let's go um, If you're gonna go do a lot of things where there are natural dangers out there Even no matter how talented your dog are is getting them to think about what they're doing is important and I'll, let's just use uh, fences for an example upland hunters uh, Fences can be can be a big issue Sometimes, you know, you want to basically avoid that when you're hunting. That's where our thinking comes in. Don't go somewhere where you're hunting right along the fence so you know some bird's going to drop on the other side and they're going to be going over there. One, it's a really nice to have a dog that's steady, you know, I because then when you get steady, they're not just going to be ripping through the fence before you even notice. So that earlier training where you do steady and steady doesn't take some magic stuff to do (laughs) it's just another thoughtful process that you can get them to be steady even even year year and a half year old dogs yeah you can kind of get them to be under your control not like they would be later on but you can do that so steady is really good but the other thing is to familiarize these guys with fences so if you're going to be encountering fences You've got to acquaint them with this phenomena. And so one of the things, I'll just give an example, there's so many ways that that you can do this stuff. One of the things I do, training other people's dogs, is I have access to places where there's bar, bar, strands of fence. So the first thing I do is, you know, we take walks right along there. And then if we're going to cross the fence to the other side, you know, which for me is sometimes I either got to go under or climb over. but it's neither here nor there. you got to be able to do that. But I'm going to get to the other side. And I'm going to go through a, depending on the dog, kind of a thoughtful process. I'm going to sit them on one side. I'm going to get to the other. And then I'm going to make them do whatever would be. I'm not going to do all the work for them. You know, like if you just spread the strands so wide that, again, they can come through without thinking about it. Spend some time. You've got strands. And, and teach them to go under. You know, and that might not be easy. And it might even take a, you know, a dog treat down there and and teach them, listen, you just need to go under this fence. You need to go underneath if you possibly can. You don't want them to just, just go straight through because, you know, there's obvious reasons, particularly if it's, you know, there's not much distance between the strands of barbed wire. So you, you know, this could take a while because they're going, laying down and doing the belly crawl under a fence is not something they've probably done before. So you're going to have to teach that and teach it without getting angry and frustrated, which now makes this a real negative thing. Go out there and go, we're going to get where you go underneath the strand. And pretty soon you figure out a way to do it with your dog where they, you can do that. And then you sit them and you go on the other side and you teach them and then you walk along further. And then you can go down a little, you know, in another place, get on the other side, make them wait, then have them go underneath. Maybe that session, maybe the next session you do it, you can just cross over without making them stop and see do they understand this thing about taking the fencing into account and going underneath it? <clears throat> et cetera, etc. Cetera. So if you go about this, preferably when you're doing a walk <clears throat> throughout the year, you can do that and begin to teach them to identify a fence. that's step number one. whoa, there's a fence. Two, slow themselves down because you've always made them encounter the fence, slow down, think, look for the place to go underneath, and then do that. Now, if it's a fence that can't go underneath, and you have to teach them how to get through a fence, assuming it's get throughable, um, if it's not get throughable, don't teach them to, to do that. So, common sense here. But you can see this approach pretty soon when they encounter a fence and then do a different fence not just that one so that's just specific to a location teach them to identify a fence step one two, slow and stop look at the situation and figure a way to get through it that can be something that you be, that becomes a habit in a dog and then you can even do some stuff close in where you can control the situation where you throw a bumper over teach them to go to the fence stop, go underneath or however is the best way to get through it, go get the bumper, come back the same way. So in many, many instances, you can acquaint the dog with some situations and then teach them to take a thoughtful approach to it. It Takes a little bit of time, takes a little bit of effort. It's worth saving the life or extreme vet bills and injury uh, to a dog. Now the same thing goes for, for... Um, I'm going to say pieces of, of you know heavy cover down trees stuff like that You can take the very same approach with that teach them to one stop and identify the situation Look at it. Don't just mindlessly do stuff And then you got your bumper teach them to go around it under over whatever is appropriate But not just straight at we don't want the straight at this also goes people for ditches and things like that <clears throat> because I know of some dogs that have been killed jumping across a ditch and and Misjudging it or you know, just seeing it before it was too late and having I, some killed killed doing that So I love to show dogs Ditches and do the same thoughtful approach to that to look at the situation um, Identify it Look at it take it in and then make the adjustment to it. So you can do that with ditches you can do that with unknown water. You can, you can always do that. For one, if you're hunting somewhere where, you know, you've got some piece of water that you don't know very well, you do need to go look around and make sure there's not some buried something, the car under there or some old piece of equipment or some big piece of metal. Because it's very, you don't want the dog into a piece of unknown water, no matter how cool it is, to launch out to that thing where they're going 10 feet out there in the air and then coming down hard in the water so in hunting if it's a you know the ponds I have out front of my place there's no place they're in danger and I'm fine with the dogs running and jumping in there but when they're somewhere new then we gather up and inspect things and I don't want them doing the big launch so people that love that big water entry I've never been one to rant and rave about that because there are places where that is not a behavior that you want so I'm not going to get them not to to joyfully jump into the water, but I'm going to teach them for the hunting situations. When there's water, let's just take a, let's go look at it first. Let's take a, if you can. And if not, you know, you've got to require that they have a relatively conservative uh, approach to getting in the water. Once they're in and swimming, then their speed is way down. There's no gravity flinging them onto something. You're a lot safer. But that initial water entry needs to be something that you really think about. And there's so many situations, you know, again, pieces of downward, just stuff, teach them not to just mindlessly. Everybody loves the high drive, high passionate dog. We all love that in hunting. We need to moderate that for safety. Just like you've got to moderate your craziness about loving to go do this. So do these guys. And you can practice those things by teaching them how to think about this stuff. Now, one of the other things, one of, the, one of these questions that was asked was encountering something uh, unexpected while you're, while you're out doing this. And there's a lot of unexpected things that you can encounter. Skunk families, right? Uh, a young deer that was nestled down somewhere and then pops up and takes off. Uh, all kinds, probably stuff I don't know. Coyotes that are hunting your dog as you're out hunting. That's another thing that could happen. So, and probably many, many that I'm not going to come up with right now are haven't encountered living in the West like I do. Uh, but there's unexpected things, things, stuff that when you're out hunting, you don't consider. You know, encountering other animals, encountering a stray dog, encountering all kinds of stuff. Encountering, uh, one of the questions that was in this deal was some, there were some injured birds from other hunters, I assume, or something, and then you encounter other people's birds. And then what, what happens then? So this is not, uh, I don't think it's that big of a deal really. I mean, it is, but what you want to do, because that's just like in competition when you're competing, you know, wow, weird stuff can happen that you never, you know, some, some other dog from another state comes running right through your set of marks. All kinds of crazy things can happen. So instead of being upset about whatever the situation is, whatever came up, the wounded baby deer, that now your dog is off the hunt and is now obsessed with this thing that's trying to get away. And then I've got an injured animal. I'm like, what do I do? Is to step back and kind of keep the big picture in mind before you even go hunting and before you go into these situations. There's a lot of things you can encounter, a lot of things. Some of them that you're not going to be able to think of and some of them you've encountered before. Other people, other animals, weird stuff, injured stuff, um, all kinds of things. Know that at any point in time, anywhere you are, that could happen. You're up grouse hunting in the mountains. There's a lot of things you can encounter up there you might not have been inspecting, expecting. So obviously when you're going out in a situation like that and you have your, your shotgun, Make sure that you have whatever weaponry you might need to address situations. You know, maybe your shotgun's going to be enough. But you might have to address a a wounded animal or kind of a harmful animal or something. And you need to make sure that you are prepared to deal with that. You know, we used to, when I was living in New Mexico, and you'd be out, man, the coyotes want to join you on your deal. And so they had to be... They had to be scared away, seriously scared away uh, a lot of times when you're out with your dog. So there's just a lot of situations and knowing it's coming, make sure that you can deal with it with the equipment that you have instead of, you know, getting wildly upset. The other part of that, when you deal with these situations is one, you must have control of your animal. I will never understand, as long as I live, upland dogs that are 400 yards away and you're not sure where they are, but you got your Garmin so you can see it on your watch. Um, The safety part of that for me is just untenable. I I can't do that. So you want to make sure that your dog is under control, that if you need to call them back to you or call them off a chase, that you can. If your dog has suddenly found that wounded deer and is obsessed with that. You have to be able to call them to you and stop something from happening there that you don't want to have happen. You may have to go address that wounded animal, but your dog doesn't need to do it. So having even a young dog, you've got, don't go out in the field with these situations can come up without having control of your animal. And again, personally, I would never go into any hunting situation at all with a dog that was not de-chased, with a dog that knew. You do not go pursuing these things. That is not your job. You're not a hound dog. You are a retriever. And have them de-chase. Not a difficult thing to do. Needs to be done correctly. And then chasing something is not an option to them in their head. But if you do encounter something, you must have the ability to call your dog off of something. So all the people that say, oh, I don't even put a collar on my dog anymore. We don't need it. I would never do that. I would never do that, doesn't ever mean I'm going to use it, but there may be a situation come up that I was not expecting and I need to be able to have the ability to call my dog to me to keep them out of some kind of trouble. So I think that that's a very important thing. So whatever you encounter in terms of of unexpected wildlife or crazy people and their crazy dogs, be able to get your dog back to you, be able to make sure your dog is safe. And then make sure that whatever the other situation is you can handle it you know you've got a weapon with you, you've got a gun in case something bad happens but just know that sometimes screwy things can happen and you want to be able to prepare for that the other thing is when you're out in the field whatever you're doing I don't care if you're sitting in a lay down blind for hours or you're walking through a lot of fields you should have in, in the coat that you have or the vest that you have, you should of course have water for your animal, always. I would, if it's gonna be very timely, have some kind of calories and snacks for them that are not unhealthy and stupid. Um, you know, they, we, the power bars they used to have for dogs was awesome, something like that. Have something so that if your dog does get low blood sugar or something, which can happen, Uh, They can get, what is it, the hypoglycemic or whatever that you can give them something. Make sure you have water. Make sure you have a first aid kit. It doesn't have to be real exotic, but make sure you have something, one, eye wash to wash their eyes out if they get seeds or icky stuff in their eyes. You've got a a saline solution so you can wash eyes out. That's something you can do out there. Make sure you have some, uh, the antibiotic, but the antifungal, the stuff that does does everything the fungus and the virus and the bacteria make sure you have that if they scrape themselves or if they get poked with something Make sure that you can keep that at least for the time being till you get back to your vehicle or and or to a vet you can keep that That at least clean Make sure that you have either uh, It's not very big if you can be trained by your vet some staples or some way, you know it could be um, Some way to close if they get sliced open somewhere, which can happen easily. You don't want that to heal wide open with the stuff underneath the skin exposed. So you would you would wash it out, disinfect it, and then close it. And that doesn't you know that could go in a back pocket somewhere. And talk to your vet, not me. Talk to your vet about that. We always carried staples and betadine, so we could clean it out and then make sure it was closed. Um, The super glue, the EMT gel you know, that does also seal stuff up, but you never want to seal something up that you did not disinfect, because then you can just grow a really nasty abscess on that stuff. That should be in there, because even in the most benign and harmless of places, they could step on a little piece of jagged something or a beer bottle somebody shot, uh, broke into a bunch of pieces and get a glass thing up through their paw. Be very nice if you can address that. And even, you know, maybe bandage something up. A lot of times you gotta do that. If it's something down their whole leg, You know, once you seal it, you kind of bandage it so they can't tear at it or lick at it or something, and they can get in and get out where you are. So carry that with you as well. I hope you never need it in a million years and nothing ever happens. But on the one little incident where you do, if you've got that in your pocket with some mandatory things, you know, if your dog just needs its eyes washed out because it's got really bad bunch of seeds in there, you can do that. So that's another thing to be prepared for, just whatever. Just keep that in your pocket all the time so it's always there, but the water and then the snacks also for yourself so that your dog, these are athletes, please remember that. These are athletes. So just like if you were taking them to go run the you know, the Boston Marathon or I don't care, the Boulder Boulder 10K, make sure that, that they have the, the hydration, that is the most important thing, and then the nutrition they have if this is a lot of stuff. Otherwise, dogs can get into some situations that aren't good for them. So all of that goes in your vest. Not a big old backpack, not a ton of stuff, but the bottle and the stuff all in your pockets along with your other stuff. Be aware when you go in situations, hunting, weird stuff can happen. Just weird stuff can happen. Know that ahead of time. Please have prepared your dog to, to think when they're out there. And that is very doable. I do that for a living and to make my life easier training dogs the biggest thing I do is to begin when I first get them to teach them all right you're gonna have to start thinking now you're gonna have to start thinking I'm not just teaching you behaviors I'm teaching you you know how this world works and what your role in it is and then giving you the responsibility to carry that out and that can be done when you do the walks with your dogs Again the most powerful training tool on the planet for any dog are those walks And that's one of the things you do even on little puppies and certainly on the big guys teach them to think Teach them when you encounter stuff Stop and look at it take it in see what it is And adjust your behavior for that and do it with all the things that you might encounter And not with training pressure and making it unpleasant but just by repetition and teaching them to trust what it is you're doing with them. It's like the fence thing. At first, when you try to get them to go under the lower strand of wire, I mean, they just, they, they, it's like, set up. What's happening here? <laughs> I don't like this. Understand they're doing that. There's no context. It makes no sense. You're not shooting and throwing a bird. You're not running a blind. You're not doing any of that. What is this? And so, just be patient. Just You're just doing teaching, that's all. Teach them to trust you when you're starting to teach them about this thing, this fence, this ditch, this large object that you don't want to just jump over. Teach them those you know, to trust you in that. And then when they trust you about thinking about these things, then they're gonna trust themselves thinking about these things. And you can go in a field and encounter something you really didn't want to, and it's gonna be you're probably gonna be just fine. So That's my, before hunting, especially if you hunt a lot, and especially if you hunt and you have a dog that's highly motivated, (laughs) or ADHD, or any variations of those things where the thinking thing is not their primary default behavior, take the time to teach them that. And with patience, and with not high energy and corrections and all that, but with a real calmness, because that's what you want these dogs to have when they encounter something out in the field doing what they love most of all. You have to impart calmness and thoughtfulness. And the only way you can do that is by teaching and approaching this with calmness and thoughtfulness. So that's today's thing. I, I hope people who do a lot of hunting pay a little bit of attention to that. It's just It's saved my cookies with dogs a million times and I know a lot of my clients are exactly the same way with their dogs. And it's just nice to know you've got the situations mostly under control. And when something unexpected comes up, you have the tools to deal with it and the mental calmness to stop and think before overreacting, you and your dog, okay? So that's today. Happy hunting season. If you're running one of these big national things, Uh, I hope you either had it great or Good luck on all this stuff, and I am keeping these things up every week as I'm transitioning into I don't know what, um, but I will keep going with this because it's so important to me, and I wish you all the best. Stay safe. Stay Everybody stay okay, and uh, I will be back next week.